Hi, I'm Jennifer Mulholland. And I'm Jeff Shuck. We're the co-leaders of Plenty. Thanks for joining our podcast, Plenty for Everyone. Each episode, we talk with conscious leaders like you to explore abundance in work and life, fulfillment in head and heart, and ways we can all work together to make this world a better place. Hi, everybody. This is Jennifer Mulholland and Jeff Shuck. We are so grateful to be sharing our Friday with you. It is August 28th, hard to believe. And I'm a little giddy, as I know Jeff is, about our Friday heading into the weekend that we love so much. In classic Jen and Jeff way, we started the morning diving deep into our reflections on the Democratic and Republican conventions that we've seen this last two weeks. And we're fired up and we were talking and talking and talking and rambling and exploring and realized we weren't recording. So we will, I guess, pick up where we left off and dive into maybe making our conversation public. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the understatement of the century to say the last six months have been kind of a a fire of confusion and distress for people. And it really struck us this morning that the, both the conventions were kind of like another gallon of gasoline poured onto the fire. So we had made a commitment along with our families to at least watch one day of each convention. And for me, it was the last day of each convention. So I can't say that I watched four days straight of the Democrats and four days straight of the Republicans, but to watch enough to get, you know, try to get an informed perspective on things. And I think one of the things that we're both taking away is maybe running into our own prejudices and kind of where we get triggered and where we didn't, what we thought we would believe going into things versus what we believe coming out. And I think also would would own that even when we started to talk about, should we do a podcast on this? We felt a little reluctance of like, wow, is this, is this a subject we should, we should step into because it's so contentious. And that's where I'd start is my observation of both conventions is they probably appealed to the, the loyal supporters of each side. And yet, you know, they're kind of the reaching for commonality and common ground seems to be a little bit of a lost art. So that's where I'd start. Where would you start? Yeah, I would just own the vulnerability of recording even our conversation, which has been our way and our commitment to be transparent in our and the exploration of trying to see what resonates and what feels truthful to our values and our vision of the country that we wish to see. And I think I I did watch four days of both conventions and I'm glad I did. And my commitment was to be open, to hear what it is I need to hear. And I think you and I spent the morning in passion, like talking about policy and where, what policy resonates regardless of party and you know, and the production and the presentation of the messages, I think we're processing too, of of what resonates, what was powerful, how do we know what's shared is true? And 
I it, right now it feels a bit confusing to to be honest, and I think both of us are in a place of inquiry around. Wow, it's more it feels more confusing than ever. It's not just left or right, blue or red, and Biden or Trump. It feels like we are just living through this calamity of times, a time we've spoken about in our careers over the past five years of really living through a paradigm shift. And you can see that happening, but it feels more polarized than ever around the far left and the far right, the the liberal left and the conservative right. And where is the, the middle? And where is the and, I guess, and in, in our conversations around, wouldn't it be nice if we could vote on policy rather than presidency, you know, and the, and the idea of what policies make sense for our times now that can create the right for liberty, life, justice, equality, and the pursuit of happiness, like, those core values to Americans feel like they are the common ground because it's hard to argue with those principles. How we get there feels to be the fight. So would love to kind of continue rambling and meandering on this as we find our way, as we are both in process of what we're hearing come forth. Yeah. And maybe I feel like I do some kind of disclaimer on every episode, so I'll just do it early. The goal of this episode is not to tell you we know the right candidate or we know the right path. And we really don't, we welcome all your comments, but don't want to invite people telling us, you know, I can't believe that you said anything good about Trump, or I can't believe you would vote for Biden because that's really not what we're hoping to convey what we're what we're kind of looking for is the meta like what's the context showing us and i mean one similarity between both the conventions in my mind is is the demagoguery and that term if you're not familiar with it means kind of appealing to people's emotions and appealing to their wants rather than talking specifically about policy or rather or talking in rational ways about things that we can work on together And so I think, and that's part of what a convention is about, is like you appeal to your base, like you fire people up. And yet I think sometimes that's all that government is now, is is appealing to the base. We've often written and talked about, you know, in our view, at least in my view, leadership and government are two different things. And, you know, there's a role for government, but man, more than ever, we need leaders. And leaders are not demagogues. Leaders try to bring people together and try to find consensus. And I didn't feel like, maybe maybe I'd say it this way. I think the most effective messengers of that in both conventions were the real people. We're not the elected officials at all, but the most moving and effective stories were the carpenters, the first responders, the nurses, the teachers that were that I think both parties showcased and I did think that was a positive thing and a reminder that, you know, we're all each other's leaders and there's people that we can learn from in our own neighborhoods. But I thought those stories were much more effective and compelling than the elected officials. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that's where 
we live in a country where we're made up of people, just like companies and organizations are made up of people. And what are the stories, the real lived experiences that bring light to the different perspectives of how people are being treated and supported and elevated? Is that equal? Is that not? And I think, especially with coronavirus and living through this pandemic, it feels like the variance of experience, the variance of stories of how some people are thriving and some people are hit harder than ever. You know, some people have more resources than they ever have, more quality time, more abundance. And some people have been ravaged and ripped apart from the the inequities that coronavirus has laid upon them. And so I think that in itself is confusing that actually coming to light, there's not a clear camp. You know, there's not a clear truth. There's not a clear right. And I think that's part of our intention of processing as we do is trying to process to get clear. And I guess my idealist, idealistic self my hopeful orientation that is me, that is plenty. I wish it could be character and policy because both matter. It's not either or. Like having an empathetic president or empathetic, we need empathy now. We need humanity now more than ever. And we need strong policies that will help us create and build upon the incredible foundation of what being an American is, of pursuing freedom, pursuing our dreams, treating each other as equal, seeing each other as one, and acting that way. And I think we just have this divide of it's either or right now. And that's a bit like, you know, if you're all for character, you're going to vote for Biden. If you're not for character and you're all for policy, you're voting for Trump. And it's just it's not that clear. So, you know, I think that's a little bit disturbing, a big disturbing to me right now of how, what is truthful and how do we find the blend of character and policy that makes a great leader a great leader? Yeah. And like that it's, it feels to me, it's never been clear that like boiling it down to two options is so unsatisfactory. And there's a personal side of that. It's another election where I find myself saying, wow, are these these are the two best people we could find. Everyone listening probably can think of better candidates they know in their personal lives or their professional lives or the one life that we all live together that feels more suitable. So there's, there's that aspect where boiling it down to two choices don't really work. But to get slightly wonkier, I studied political science in, in undergrad. And one of the things that you study is there's a bunch of different frameworks one that's popular is called the political compass. And basically what it talks about is left and right aren't the only things that govern how people think. Left and right kind of explore, you know, what you think about the role of economics, but there's a social role too. And the spectrum there is, you know, authoritarian to libertarian. So you can be really quote unquote liberal about the economy but also be libertarian and want a small government role in your social life. And, you know, people always kind of present fascism and socialism as opposites, but they're not opposites because they're both authoritarian in terms of the role of government 
in your social life. They just have different views of the role of government and economics. And I think end of the wonky part, but it's an example of saying, you know, boiling it down to two things really is unsatisfactory. And the more complex the issues that we're facing, you know, climate change is obviously not just an environmental issue. It's an economic issue. It's a, it's a issue of race. It's a social issue. It's an issue of potential entrepreneurial growth. And so like just having a right or left, are you liberal or conservative on the climate is totally unsatisfactory. So, you know, it's coming into a, a world that we talk about in, in different terms, but a multidimensional world, a multi-sensory world where we're able to, to allow people to have more than one opinion or we're allowed, allowed to let people have multiple facets of opinions. It's possible for someone to say, to, to Jen's point, and then I'll stop, to say, wow, I don't like Trump's character, but I really agree with his policies. Or I really like Biden's character, but I don't agree with his policies. And it feels like we have to make room for that somehow. We have to make room for the multiverse of, of viewpoints. Yeah. And we live in a multiverse. We are multidimensional. You know, even our senses are not linear. And the more we awaken as human beings and the more conscious we become as leaders, we tap into that multidimensional intuitive knowing that multidimensional way of living life and experiencing life. It's just not one way or the other. You don't smell or see, you do both. You know, you don't sense or know, you do both. And that is the beauty of being a human being is the integration of our intuition and our intellect, our heads and our hearts, our bodies and minds. And it's our superpower, quite honestly. So when we get into a political realm and discussion about what's best for our country, we kind of lose sight and bifurcate that it's either this or that. And it's just, we need a multi-level, multi-layered solution to the issues like climate change or safety or tax relief or taxes, whatever, or the economy or the entrepreneurial spirit, whatever the platform is, it's going to take diverse perspectives that are lived, that people have lived the inequities, that people have actually walked that path, that have an experience, a heritage to bring to the table that can be applied in our new society or in our current state to help us evolve to that new society we wish to be. And that takes an openness of mind and heart and ability and willingness to really hear beyond the form, to question what is being told or question what is what we know to be true based on your news source, based on the who's bringing it to you, the messenger, you know, because I think when we, when we really can step into, I, I will just own my heart's desire. I want resolution. I would love to see a more harmonious collaborative way to help America become what we're here to become together. And it's not, it's not going to work by blaming and shaming the other side. And that creates an unrest within me because there's so much finger pointing right now around these linear ways to see something. But in every story, a ton of facts are left out. So it's orienting you to believe 
in what is being spoken through that one lens. But it's almost like the aperture has to be expanded so we can see the whole picture. And I guess that's what's leaving me with unrest this morning of confusion because it feels like we have an opportunity to create a better solution that can account for the whole picture rather than just these sound bites and breadcrumbs and microscopic viewpoints were being thrown at. Yeah. I love the point about the linear, the linear thinking and to kind of take it into our other work and then bring it back to this point. When we work with executives, one of the first things we talk about, and you can find a lot of narrative about this on our website is to, is something I referred to earlier and kind of made a joke about myself. And when I referred to it, the idea that we don't have a personal life and a professional life, right? There's a two-dimensional way of thinking that most people, because of how we grow up and how we're taught to find a job and care for our families, hold these two spaces. Okay, I have this personal life that is over here, and I have this professional life that's over here. And one of the things that we do in our work is help people integrate those. Because our deep belief and our experience is that if you try to keep those things separate and only think in one dimension, you ultimately create tension that makes you really, really unhappy. But it's a tricky concept for people at first because they're so brought up into thinking in just one dimension. And so to take that back to, Jen, what you were saying, that's how most people reconcile how they vote is there's this reductionism, if that's a word, of like, well, I'm going to vote with my pocketbook and economically I'm better off. Or, well, abortion or pro-life is really important to me. So that's what I'm going to vote on. Or, well, you know, the Second Amendment or the, or the corollary gun control, that's my issue. And like, you can see it in all the debates on social media, in the convention, in the news. We're really bad as a species at thinking in, in multiple ways, even though we have the capacity to do it. So I think everyone kind of gets by by reducing it to the one thing they care most about. And yet it leaves so much richness on the table. And just like in our coaching, we know that if people hold different spaces for a long period of time, a lot of negativity can build up. I think that's maybe what's happened in the country. Like everyone's holding their own spaces. So you have the gun lobby and the gun control lobby and the pro-life group and the abortion rights group. And everyone's holding these different one-dimensional things. And maybe the hope is there's community to be to be found if we can effectively introduce other dimensions into the conversation. Because even there's a criticism emerging that I've read that I, that I think is fair, that the Democrats spent four days telling you how nice Joe Biden is. <laughs> and, and the Republicans spent four days trying to tell you that other than coronavirus, you know, the world's better off than it was. And so each group's trying to reduce it to this one thing. And where does that leave the rest of us who live in the real world that has more than two dimensions? Yeah. And that disconnect, which we talk about all the time, creates disease. It literally creates sickness. So if you think about yourself and you are showing up at work differently than you show up at home or vice versa, the energy it takes to keep those parts of yourself separate will take its toll. 
it's draining, it's exhausting, and it's really not your true nature. Our true nature is to be vital, to live, to express, to follow our passions, to live our purpose, to speak our truths, regardless of where we're showing up. And the more we can close that congruency gap, the more healthy we are, the more we take care of our ability to be well, our well-being. And that is a sickness when we don't do that, when we create those things to be separate in work, at home, in our relationships, in our community, we hold ourselves apart. And when we create that disconnect within ourselves, we create an incredible gap that is impossible to be harmonious, right? And so we see that in culture, in the teams that we work with in corporate America and in nonprofits where it's not safe to be your whole self at work. And typically what we, if we have the opportunity to say, we say, go find a place that you can be your whole self at work because you're worth it. And the consequence is too great. And when we bring that to the country and we bring that to our times, it's like, where is that holism? Where are we able to hold the space of the and? That yes, I stand for this platform, this policy, and character, empathy, being a good human being, wanting community, wanting equity, whatever your your values are, it's okay to have both. And I do see this juxtaposition, even in my family and friends and community of like, either you stand for this point or you're bad or wrong. Or it's like, I love that point you just made, Jeff, because it's like, oh, if you stand for the Second Amendment and the right to bear arms, then you you have to vote for Trump. Or if taxes matter to you and you want economic freedom and economic flourishment, there's no way in hell you're going to vote for Biden right now. Like that's the message that these that we're being programmed to absorb and to receive. And I think as a, as a conscious leader and our whole intent at Plenty is to help conscious leaders wake up, become more aware, more attuned to make a positive difference in the world. Like this is our time to rise. This is our time to say, wait a second, that resonates with me and it resonates with me on the other side too. So what's in the mix? Like, can I hold both spaces? It's not an either or. And I think our hope is the more we can question what we're being told, the more we listen to what feels true for ourselves, the more multidimensional we can become and hopefully creating better answers for our country. Well said. So let's introduce the second theme. So the first theme is, you know, allowing yourself to think along more than one dimension. And obviously that applies not just about politics, it just, it's a nice coaching point for your life. Like where are there other dimensions that can be considered in whatever problem or challenge you're facing? The second theme that I think we talked about this morning that I'd love to explore kind of builds on the first, which is, wow, what a reminder of the power of perspective and how much we bring our own viewpoint into what we see. We talked about this on a few of our podcasts already, but I want to come back to it because it's fascinating to watch 
and try to watch with unfiltered eyes and then read the commentary. And, and here's a couple examples. You know, Biden wearing a mask in a crowd to a certain group of people is an incredible role model show of responsibility. To another group of people who saw the exact same thing, it's a mark of how cowardly he is. Last night, a whole group of people was saying, wow, Trump speaking in front of a live crowd of 1,500 people, that's incredibly irresponsible. What a, what a terrible role model he is. I can guarantee you there's a whole other group of people of saying, what a great role model about courage and confidence emerging from a time of crisis, right? Who's right? Well, it's whatever you bring to it, right? Like we are the projector, not the camera, to quote Michael Neal. And I'm, I'm really reminded of that, of the power of our own perspective. And something, Jen, I'd love for you to talk about that you say all the time of not buying into our own thinking. Because that's really what we're hearing when we hear any of these politicians speak. Right after we hear their words, we hear our own commentary on it. And sometimes it's easy to confuse the two. So I'm, I'm fascinated at that, like in full display over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And it plays out not only in the political realm, but in our personal lives over and over every day. And we're culprits of it. I mean, it's hard to catch yourself realizing that, oh, what I see is because of what I'm believing. And I can either look out the window and see a gray, shitty day, or I can look out the window and say, oh, it is so beautiful. And I'm so grateful to be here. Like the, the power of perspective to change and to become more aware of our thinking is one of the greatest gifts we've been given is like that ability to separate our viewpoint from ourselves. And it's kind of hard to articulate, but this idea that we have over 70,000 thoughts a day, right? They come in, they come out, some are positive, some are negative. Most of it's recycled thinking. That thinking is coming from cultural conditioning, how we were brought up, our lived experience, messages and learning that we buy into. And you know, when we buy our thinking, when we attach to one of those thoughts, we ground it, we bring it into form. And then exactly what you said, Jeff, like we then project it out. And then we, we actually think that we are, we're seeing something outside of ourselves, but we're actually seeing what we just projected. And the less we can buy our thinking, meaning the more space we can give to say, do I really know that's true? Like Byron Katie's work is so powerful. It's called The Work. And her question is, is do I know this to be true? Like, do I really know this to be true? And if you can continue to pull back the layers, whether it's in a conversation or in your work or as a mother or father or as a student, whatever your situation is, and say, do I really know this to be true? You'll start to peel back the onions and the layers of the onion and realize that actually this thought, you know, I don't really know if it's true. So I love the idea of like questioning our thinking, not giving so much credence and power to it because as a passionate person, you've been on the other end of me for freaking a long time. When I become convicted 
in my belief system. I tap into an energy of passion and it's one of our superpowers. It is one of our greatest gifts that's unique to all of us. And it's one of our greatest movers of momentum, our ability to manifest through our passion and conviction. And maybe we'll talk about this as a third theme, but when I'm in that place, all I'm seeing is one way of my truth. I am buying a thought, I'm fueling it, and I'm projecting it out. And then I see outside of myself evidence that validates why I'm thinking that way. And so that's that cycle, I think, that like when we're watching, whether it's Biden wearing a mask and Trump and everybody in the audience, with the exception of maybe a couple people I saw in the audience wear a mask, Whatever your belief system is, you're feeding it. And then outside yourself, you're finding evidence to support that belief. And, you know, that's a really limited path. It's a path that creates power, but in one direction of that thought. Well, and a lot of us can get stuck in there for a while. And I want to go a little further on this because this idea has come up on a few podcasts and people have asked us afterwards to dive into it. And maybe I'll share an example of that in a second. What I think we were trying to say is humans aren't always that great at distinguishing between events and facts. We immediately start assuming things are facts and events happen. But when you find yourself saying, well, the fact is that's a little cue to question your thinking. Here's a quick example. Every parent has had the experience of watching their young toddler run across the driveway, fall down and skin their knee. And probably the first time it happens as a parent, you go, (gasps) and you start crying and the kid gets up, looks at you, sees you crying and they start bawling. It only takes that to happen once before the next time you realize as a parent, okay, when they run across the driveway and skin their knee, the event, I'm not going to instantly jump to the fact that they're hurt. So they do it again, they're running around, they're toddling around, they fall, and they look at you, and instead of saying, instead of start crying and assuming they're hurt, you just say, whoopsie, and you smile, and the kid starts smiling at you. I mean, that's happened to me, I have four kids. I can't tell you how often I realized, oh, my reaction to the event changes the facts for both them and me. Jen, you talked about this a few episodes ago in, in going through the, the health of your own son right now and the events versus what facts we want to give power to. I had another example yesterday. A dear friend of mine let me know his daughter got COVID. That's the event. And I was sharing with Jen, I was so amazed at the facts he took away because his facts were, you know, it's actually a relief it's happened because she's a nursing student. And now that she has this, she's going to be okay. And now that she's battling through it, she'll be able to care for more people. And I was really struck by, wow, he chose his facts. The event didn't change, but his facts for him weren't, oh my gosh, you know, this was almost tragic. His facts were, I'm relieved that this has happened and we're all better off for it. And a lot of people are going to be healthier for it. So we've gotten this question a few times from people who've said, you're telling us not to be afraid. You're telling us not to be depressed. There's things around us that are really troubling. And we're not trying to say that the things that are happening are not real. 
we're trying to say our power comes in not controlling those things. Our power, the only power we have as people is in deciding how to react to them. And it sounds so trite and so simple, but wow, this is where all the juice is. You know, the juice of fulfillment, the juice of getting things done as a team, the juice of overcoming problems. And I'm really struck at, I guess I'm yearning for, I was yearning to hear that from maybe both sides. And I think we're so cynical that when, just to give an example, when Trump says, hey, we're going to emerge stronger, it's hard for me to see like, okay, well, he's creating something different out of these events. And maybe that's laudable. Maybe that's not putting your head in the sand. Maybe that's the kind of leadership that we need. And again, I'm not trying to be partisan here because I think there's there's other examples. But I'm just trying to say like, the power that we have to choose our own perspective is so, so intense. And we abdicate it often instead of claiming it. Yeah. And the, the power to choose comes from awareness. Because when we are on the hamster wheel or when we are running automatic habits, when we are recycling automatic thinking, we then get what we've always gotten. We repeat cycles. And for so many of us, us included, you know, like our paths at 50 and beyond are repeating patterns. Like how many people have lost, you know, just lost, gained, had the same thing happen, miserable in jobs, happy in jobs, like whatever your thing is, a lot of it is not new. And so it's such an invitation to say, wow, well, as a conscious human being, can I create more curiosity in, is my choice in focus empowering or disempowering? Because the example that you gave is a great one that, you know, when we say the reality is that places our power on external facts and evidence that must be because we can see it, but only we can see it because it's coming from our lens, our projection. The moment you shift your focus, you see a different reality. And so I think what we're asking and practicing ourselves is, can you create more space to catch yourself that you are actually not your thinking? Your thinking comes through you, you attach to it, and if you buy it, it actually becomes what you see, right? And so we can see that with higher quality thinking, with higher moods compared to lower quality thinking and lower moods. Like we, we don't see as many possibilities. We have tunnel vision. We become more contracted and scared and depressed when we have lower quality thinking that oftentimes is just coming from potentially lack of sleep, waking up on the wrong side of the bed, waking up in a lower mood just because, right? Comparatively to when we are in a higher state of mind, we see more, we're open to more. And that power to choose our perspective literally concretizes and brings down into foundational form what we experience to be true. And I guess like we're flirting, we're, we're asking you to 
see if you can play with just creating a tiny bit of space to question, is this viewpoint like really expanding and helping me and helping me bring in this new way of society, this new way of working together, this new way for myself, for my own well-being, or is it keeping me stuck in this habitual thinking of repeated patterns of recycled thinking that it's easy to fall into that trap for sure. That takes us nicely into the third topic that we wanted to talk about. If you know, the second one is just understanding and claiming the power of perspective and choosing our view. The third, I think that you brought one of the first things that you mentioned this morning was the power of manifestation and maybe a yearning to have to hear more people talk about what they want the country to be instead of what it is. Why don't, why don't you talk a little bit about more about that? Yeah, I definitely, I think in processing what I witnessed Trump to claim compared to Biden and regardless of content, a conscious leader understands how to use their power for good. And part of the art of manifestation is acting as if what you want to happen, what you want to have has already happened. And you act as if you claim that to be true now. You bring emotion to it. You pretend, you imagine, you visualize as if that future state is already here. For the intellects in ourselves and the the skeptics, that sounds, you know, hard to do, not factual, made up, woo-woo, whatever. But it's the fundamental art of manifestation that has been around for eons. And we can do that individually and we can do it collectively. And I'll tell you who did it great is Trump. He is standing there claiming as if he's already won, acting as if, talking in terms, the power of words matter. And I think when we look at our own personal lives, it's so important to see what we're feeding. Like, are we buying what we're thinking? Like, are we claiming the end state of what we want to obtain, experience, have for ourselves, or are we creating distance between here and there? Because when we want something and we say, I want this to happen, we put distance between where we are and what we want. When we act as if we already have what we want and we can get really clear about what that vision looks like for ourselves, our community, our country, our planet, our globe, we then bring that reality closer to us and we close the distance, but we have to claim it. Claiming it is so powerful in our words, in our actions, in our behaviors and acting as if that's the world we've manifested. And my hope is why weren't we talking about a world where we don't need a country where we don't even need guns, a country where we actually bipartisanly regardless of what side you are on any issue, we actually work together in harmony. Like a country where it has no bearance of where you come from, you know, how much money you have, what color of your skin, what culture, 
that the inequities are no longer a conversation point because that world, we're treating each other, we're seeing each other as equal. Like that end state. And I guess, you know, I really would love for more people, more dialogue to shift our attention instead of what's not working. What is the world? What's the society? What's the community? What does that look like? What do we wish it to be? And then act as if that's true, act as if that's here, behave differently in a way to get there. Because, man, if we're going to continue looking at, you know, fueling the inequities, we're going to get more of it. Like what we feed, we give power to. So what we feed forms, and it goes the same for racial injustice to rioting to whatever the like the fight against the more we fight the more fighting we're going to get and so what is the solution at the end the outcome that we're actually trying to get to that creates a more harmonious thriving society i do agree that i think you're right that trump and i would say just the rnc in general did a better job of kind of manifesting. Unfortunately for me, a lot of that manifestation was around the country as a place to be, you know, the country's in disarray and, and it's a place to be afraid of. So I think the imagery was powerful, although it was negative. So it didn't resonate with me. And I will say again, because the idea, I think hopefully the listeners can honestly hear where we're really wanting an honest conversation about where we sit. And I don't think either of us know where we sit. I mean, I, th- I think there was no acknowledgement that they've been in power during <laughs> these times of crisis. And that was fascinating. Again, just from a, from a demagoguery standpoint, they get a full A in my book. From a taking accountability standpoint, they get an incomplete or a D because there wasn't a lot of acknowledgement of if the world is as ruined as some of their messages said there wasn't any acknowledgement that they're at, you know, they're at the helm of the ship right now. On the flip side, I think you're so right that the the DNC message struck me as kind of weak. There's a vision there. I don't feel like we heard it. I think Biden got pretty close at the end. His speech was one of the best parts of the convention in, in my book, but it wasn't super forward looking. It was kind of like, let's let's unwind the trouble we got into. It didn't really, to me, it didn't captivate me like I know what's coming after. And I think, I think that's an interesting coaching point too, Jen, that one of the things we're seeing when we work with like really transformational leaders, you know, there's a saying that you should never, never waste the opportunity presented by a good crisis. It's, it's a great adage. I think it's a Chinese proverb. Not exactly sure of the roots, but it, the idea that, you know, when you're presented with a crisis, use it as an opportunity to change. But one of the things we've talked about in previous episodes is there's a place beyond that where you don't need crisis to level up, where you don't need, you know, the big wake-up call. We talked about it on our podcast with, with Raquel Graham. How do we move past needing the Mack truck? And as a country, you know, I have no doubt that we'll emerge from these set of crises in some amount of time, stronger and better. But the real, you know, the real paradise for me is to not need the crisis to improve, to not need discord to create harmony. 
And for whatever reason, that feels like a difficult place for many of us to get our heads around. Like we seem to think that we need, you know, it's the classic storytelling arc. We need, we need the valley to emerge. But the only place maybe that I don't see that, that we seem to tolerate it is, is in athletics. Like you read any interview or talk to any, you know, competitive practicing, you know, university or pro athlete. And they'll talk about how they visualize any golfer will say one of the things that they do is go through the whole course in their mind. And we seem they, they don't imagine that they've lost and now they're getting better. <laughs> they imagine that they're hitting every single hole. And so I'm curious, like why we, why we think it's okay in sports, but we don't apply that to the rest of our lives. Maybe that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. I mean, it goes to, it's, it's backed by science and, you know, imagery visualization and, and that ability to trick your body into believing a different neural pathway, those neurons that wire together, fire together. And so retraining our brains as to what we believe creates a new neural network. And like our bodies are elastic, like they are, they can change form every day. And so like literally we are dealing with now a new science called neuroplasticity where everything in our body, it can change. Anything can shift and heal. And that is is so exciting. I mean, I studied sports psychology. I was a college athlete. I played two sports at University of Delaware. And that was ingrained in me at a really young age. To be at your best, you needed to visualize every move and act as if like literally you would train your body and brain so that when you stepped on the field, you had it down. That became the mental practice. With Riley's injury right now, we're having a lot of talk about that to, to help imagine his foot, his, his peroneal nerve that's currently asleep um, from a knee injury, if you have not been following what's been happening, to wake up. So like imagining his foot to dorsiflex again, imagining himself playing football and lacrosse and skiing on the mountain. Like, what does the hit feel like? You know, what does it feel like to hit, to do a tackle? What does it feel like to switch his hands? Like literally imagining, and it's a game. It's a total made up game, but our brain doesn't know any different, has no concept of what is real and what's unreal. That's the coolest thing about psychology and sports psychology and visualization is our brain has no understanding of what is real experienced and what is imagined experienced well and it's not a game because to go back to the second point like the events well, are game to our brain our, our beliefs our brain. are what matter i'm struck that once again right before we started recording this we said well i don't know that we have anything to talk about <laughs> now. But now we're kind of running long so i think maybe let's wrap up with a recap so here's three themes that we noticed that we think are powerful for conscious leaders like you to contemplate. And one is trying to practice thinking along more than one dimension. Another, yeah, the power of the perspective is the second. And what's the third? Power of manifestation. Power of manifestation, exactly. So we hope that 
however you participated in the conventions, whether you, maybe you were there, maybe you were part of producing it, maybe you were watching like us, maybe you were avoiding them altogether. We hope that you're an active part in thinking and moving to the kind of country that you want to be a part of, because it's going to take all of us to figure out how we work together to make this place the place that we want it to be. And our intention is to help uplift and support you as an awakened leader for yourselves at home, for yourselves personally, and for the work that you're doing in the world. And I would still say, like, we have such high hopes and beliefs in the the world of plenty that there is enough to go around, that we have enough. We have enough skills. We have enough power. We have enough opportunity to create the better world we seek for our country, our planet, our communities, and our loved ones and ourselves, and that we are enough. And our hope is that you can tune in to the incredible wise one that you are to create space to question your thinking and to choose consciously what you're focusing on so that we can make the next few months, the next few years, the next few decades, the next few centuries, you know, the best possible place to be. So thanks for tuning in. (laughs) Yes. Well said. If you like what you hear, we'd ask you a few things. Will you give us a rating on whatever channel you're listening to us? It really helps build our listenership. Would you share this podcast with someone that you care about because that we're meeting new people through this. And that was really one of our goals. And it's so gratifying. And if you're really into it, write us a review or leave us a comment. We love hearing from you and we appreciate it. And if you'd like to know more, please check out our website at plentyconsulting.com. If you're listening to this in an audio version, there is a video version up on YouTube. So check that out. And we look fantastic. Well, actually, I'm very excited to get my grays covered today. So I cut my hair this morning. Yay. <laughs> all right. Till next time. Talk to you soon, gang. Thanks, all. Thanks for tuning in. Join the conversation and learn more at plentyconsulting.com.